They say, you still love me if I flush? Yes, but I'm not going to be very happy with you. You approach uh, one of your kids for the third or 30th time, asking them when they're going to get their chores done, and they say, yes, but insert one million different dumb excuses on why they're not going to get their chores done, right? Or more generally and very common to all of us, a person in need comes to you and asks, can you help me? Yes, but I don't think I can do anything for you. I remember, I think I was in college or right afterwards, and I'm getting off of the freeway, and I'm coming to a red light, and it stopped, and I have to turn left, so I can't just do the quick right, and I see that there's a person there who is asking for money or help, and dang it, my window was down, and, and, and the guy turns to me, and he's like, hey, do you have anything that you can help with? Yeah, but I don't have anything, and as I look, I see my leftover sandwich from Chili's sitting in my to-go bag that I was counting on eating that later that evening. Yes, but I don't want to hear you go reluctantly. We all find ourselves in these yes, but moments. We engage them almost daily and including in our spiritual lives because as we seek to follow after Jesus, we know that Jesus and God the Father puts claims on our lives and is moving us in certain directions. And when we're in tune with that, and maybe not even always in tune with it, we have those moments of prompting and we want to go, yes, but. And here's the excuse of why I don't really want to do what you're asking me to do, Lord. Encourage you to go take a look at Instagram or Twitter. There's an actual handle called Yes But, and it's just images and images contrasting uh, this against that, and, and many of them are, are really hilarious. And a lot of them, as you look at them, you go, oh my gosh, that's so true about me. Well, we're going to take a look at um, this yes but scenarios with Abraham predominantly, but obviously we know Abraham and his wife Sarah, that they, they receive these promises from God. And they, they, in the end, they go. But March and I think that there's a lot of yes but moments that they experience. Well, in putting together this message, uh, I ran across something uh, about improv acting, right? Improv is, you know, they have three or four people on the stage, and they throw out uh, some type of angle, and they just, they just run with it. And a lot of times, there'll be moments where they can take on more input from the crowd, uh, the audience. We are not doing that this morning. Uh, and what they have found is that the, that yes, but type of thinking, it stifles creativity and grinds the storyline to a halt and as a result improv actors they try to practice something slightly different what they call yes and because this helps continue the story and action which is to follow yes and continues the action moving forward where yes but often wants to grind it to a halt so what would it look like for us to move from a yes but to a yes and type of perspective? Well, let's go, as I mentioned, to uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah. Just kind of, this is the Hebrew scholar reflecting on Abraham here. The first two verses is this, 11, 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the next several verses describe several others of these characters that we read about in the Old Testament. And then in verse 8, Hebrews starts talking about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled, enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in a nutshell, what I read is this. Abraham was asked to leave all that is comfortable and familiar to him, to go to a land and to a place where he knew no one and knew nothing, a far-off place, but a place that God had promised to be where he would be blessed and where his descendants would become numerous. So numerous, the stars and the sand couldn't even keep a log of how much blessing was going to come from this. It was as if God was saying, trust my provisions and my promises along your journey. The journey is going to be difficult, challenging, intimidating. You're going to want to give up. You are going to question me throughout the whole experience. But let me tell you this, Abraham and Sarah. It's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be with you. That's the story in a nutshell. And we know that Abraham obeys, because if not, he wouldn't be in chapter 11. But that doesn't mean... Uh, he wasn't full of fear and trepidation, the same type of fear and trepidation that we often experience when we feel things are asked of us. And he had a bunch of buts to mix in and give to God. And March and I want to name just a couple of these buts as we imagine they were the same experience of Abraham. So the first but is this, yes, but I don't know where I'm going. Any of you ever been, you know, asked to do something and you just go like, well, but I don't even know what you're asking of me or, or where you're asking me to go. And, and we, we have these competing negative feelings, negative feelings of fear, insecurity, and uncertainty. Well, the Abraham story starts roughly in Genesis 12 and goes for 12, 13 chapters. It's a bunch of great content, can't nearly get into all of it. And so just a little snippet from Genesis chapter 12. This is kind of the, the original calling when before Abraham is even Abraham. Right now he's just Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Leave everything familiar and comfortable to you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then verse 4 basically says, it lets us know that Abraham obeyed God, 
But he's, as I mentioned, still with a bunch of competing negative emotions, as I said, fear, insecurity, uncertainty. And like us, Abraham, I'm sure his immediate response was to look to his immediate needs. And what do our immediate needs tend to project in front of us? We like comfort, and we want control, and we want the power over what we believe is our unfolding future. We want our hands completely around it. And here, this calling to Abraham is saying, Abraham, you're going to have to give all of that up. But we know that Abraham, he attempts to, to put his full trust in God and his faith then is open to the possibility of courage. And this courage is the spark that ignites his faith and gets him to put his trust fully into the Lord. And so what do we learn from Abram, who will also become Abraham shortly when marching comes up? We learn to simply go. We go in obedience. We go where God invites and leads us to go, trusting that God will go with us and go before us. So respond to God's invitations, his promptings, and his leadings with faith that there is something special on the other side of our comfort and our desire for pleasure. And God wants to use you for his purposes. And so now as we get into yes but number two, I want to welcome Marchant to come on up to the stage. Uh, just so everybody else knows, I've covered three of my first two pages. So when I come back up, We'll almost be done. I remember the first time I preached, Marchant, and I was so nervous. You wouldn't believe how nervous I was. Like, my heart was just beating. But thankfully, I turned to my mentor, who often, before I would go up and speak, and, I, and I'd looked at him, he gave me that look. You know what he said to me? What'd he say? Don't suck. <laughs> yeah, so, so I leave you with this, Marchant. Marchant, you're going to be awesome. I believe that. And so does everybody here who is looking forward to what you have to share with them this morning. And so uh, just don't go longer than seven minutes and we'll be good. Well, I will uh, absolutely try not to suck. So you guys let me know if I'm sucking. Has there ever been a moment in your life where someone was knocking on your door, an invitation, or, felt, or you felt like somebody was calling you to do something, but because of your age, maybe your abilities or your limitations, you just thought to yourself, there's just no way. Abraham is listed in our Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, but he too had these moments of yes, but. Yes, but I am too old. I can hear Abraham saying this when God told him that Sarah, at the ripe age of 90, and he 100, would bear a child. It's almost like God was daring him in this moment to walk in faith. Have you ever been asked to do something, and all you could do was turn around and look at that person and give him this look? It's a famous meme. Sorry if you don't understand it. Some so ridiculous 
that it's tough for you to take seriously, almost laughing in response. Well, in Genesis chapter 17 and 18, this is where Abraham and Sarah felt this exact way. When God told them that they were going to have a son and they were to name him Isaac. I want to read to you a couple verses. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? God, there's just no way that Sarah's going to have a baby. Do you know how old she is? Do you know how long that we've tried? Do you know how long ago we stopped trying because the disappointment was just too much to bear? Not just once was this promise from God laughed in front of his face, but twice. In Genesis chapter 18, when God told Abraham that he was to have a son in the next year, Sarah was close by in a tent, and she overheard the conversation. And in verse 12 of chapter 18, Sarah said this. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Yes, but why now, God? Yes, but I don't think I'm able to do this. Abraham and Sarah, they wanted to walk in faith and obedience, but they were letting things from their past and their present get in the way of what God had planned for them in their future. And oftentimes, I find myself stuck in the same rut. Not so long ago, I started questioning what I came to realize later on was a calling that God was putting in my life. Let me take you back to college, though. So this is sophomore year. I'm in my first big in-class presentation group for the college lecture hall, 200 plus people. And I'm in this star-studded presentation group. We're going over our lines. We're practicing over and over again. I think I've got it down. And the presentation, presentation day comes, and I start off the presentation with just a short one-minute brief overview of everything that we're going to be going over in the presentation. I get up to start going, and not but three or four words into it, I froze. In front of 200 people, I blanked. My memory was gone, flat. And I couldn't help but think all this work that I put in, and I was not able to recover. So now, I'm sitting there imagining everybody in front of me laughing. And they were probably embarrassed for me too. In that moment, I realized and I started to equate public speaking with failure and doubt. Flash forward eight years, and last August at two of my very best friends' engagement party, I was asked to officiate their wedding. And you want to know what my first response was? I laughed. I laughed pretty good. And then I asked, are you joking? And they were not. And I was like, yes, but, and I'm not. But you know what God told me in that moment? As I was sitting there questioning, I was like, how can I honor you, God, in front of all those people where I can bring them 
into the sacred covenant of marriage without royally freezing, choking in front of 100 plus people was something I've never done before. He told me, Marchant, I'll be up there with you that day. I'll be with you. But you still, you know me, I ran a thousand negative excuses and thoughts through my head in those days leading up to March at their wedding. But you want to know what the most beautiful moment that came from that wedding? It was when that morning, the groom of his wedding, of his wedding day, that morning, he felt encouraged by God to take a hold of his faith and to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior on the morning of his wedding. I mean, how cool is that? Now, I know what you might be thinking. No, I did not baptize him too. <laughs> but when I stood up there that day and I was officiating the wedding, God was with me. And by getting over all these excuses and the fear and doubt that I was putting into my own head, I was able to let God use me and see a friend find Jesus. How cool is that? You know, when God calls us to do something, we want to walk in faith and obedience. We want to think and believe that everything's going to be all right. But it's not always going to be simple, and it's not always going to be easy. And it might be something that we've never done. But God has plans for the promises that he makes to you. I want to call Joe up to help come finish this out. Thank you, Marchant. So fun. Listen, I just started listening and I had to remember, like, oh, I got to go back up there, bring this thing. So when we have that, uh, when we have that experience that Marchant just shared, it, it's one of many. I'm just too old. All of my, are these reasons. Love that story of failing in, in a public speaking and just thinking, well, that's just it. I, I'm just not capable. I, I can't do that. And just the Lord laughing. Just wait what I got in store for you. And I don't know, it's only happened a couple times when I was in the room right there when somebody in that moment gave their life to Christ, and it's just something. It's crazy. It's a crazy experience. And one of the greatest honors that any of us could have. And that's what we, when we go, yes and, God, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. Well, a couple more, and then and we'll, we'll be done. The third, yes, but. Yes, but I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. Right? There's some similarities to all this. We see this in the Genesis 22 passage. Just, I'm only going to paraphrase it. So uh, Abraham and Sarah have re received this promise. They're trying to live into it. They actually have this son. Wow, that's crazy. And now Isaac is growing. And then in 22, this is the story where uh, God says, all right, Abraham, you need to give up, sacrifice Isaac to me. Now, I, I think this is one of the most complex, difficult passage theologically in all of Scripture, but we're just going to simply take it for its story value here, and I will point you to this, that this is a prelude story to the cru crucifixion story of Christ, just to give a little context. But Abraham doesn't know that, and so here he's being asked to sacrifice his son. Yes, but, and the but is easy, I just simply don't want to do what you're asking me to do. If I was to ask you to raise your hand if you have ever had that experience, 
with the Lord, I'm sure we'd have 100% participation. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do things and we just simply do not want to do what is being asked. We, we often instantly have these negative emotions of fear, doubt, confusion, discomfort. We, we don't like being the, the lack of control over our story and narrative. I'm reminded of a story uh, I, when I, I used to, when I was a high school student and into college, I would go t- across the border into Mexico to Tijuana with an organization called Spectrum Ministries. And we would do a variety of things of uh, helping with uh, uh, passing out food. We would uh, create these shower stations for children, medical needs. You just imagine people who are living on the margins, uh, the various needs that they have. And we would go with Spectrum Ministry and we would attempt to care for, for people. And this one girl had this man come to her in her line and she was giving what she thought was just basic medical treatment to people. You know, cuts and bruises and things like that. She was a college student just studying to be a nurse. So she was interested in medicine and caring for people, but that's it. She was no expert or, per, or uh, professional. And this man comes to her and as he sits down in front of her, she instantly can smell the smell. Right, the smell of somebody who has not bathed, but then she quickly figured out that there was a little something extra. And he was coming because he had a, a wound on his neck. And when he lifted and show, showed her, you could tell it was an infected. You can see that there was some of that infection smell. Just a gross scenario for a 20, 21-year-old girl. And what was going through her mind, I remember when we were debriefing, she was like, I don't want anything to do with this man. But you know what she did? She remembered this passage of scripture. You know, what you do to the others, imagine as if you're doing it to me, as if you're serving Jesus directly. And so to the best of her ability, she tried to imagine that she was giving aid and care and cleaning the neck wound that smelt terribly to Jesus. She went from a yes, but kind of thought process to a yes, and. The Abraham Isaac story, it is, as I mentioned, this prelude to the story of Jesus. And what we learn from this story, what we learn from Abraham is this. Sacrifice your ego, sacrifice your need and desires for comfort. Because God will provide for you in your times of need. And when you sacrifice those things that get in the way of following God, what you will find in replacing that is you will experience God's mystery and you will see God using you in wild ways, in ways that far transcend the desires to be comfortable. I'll bring it home with this. Yes, but. Yes, but I'm not perfect. And I'm not going to point to a specific story with Abraham here because the yes, but I'm not perfect, it is the entire story of Scripture. Every person in the Hebrews 11 that is referenced, none of them were perfect, but yet all of them are chronicled in this great chapter of our Christian history. They weren't perfect, but they continue to allow God to use them anyways. Because you see, the invitation God extends to us is not contingent on you or I being perfect or obeying God perfectly. Most of us are guilty of 
allowing our desires for perfection to become the enemy of the good. And God does not require perfection from us, but rather he asks for our best attempts at obedience. And so we need to move from the negative uh, emotions of shame and self-deprecation and all these uh, narratives of why we aren't capable. And instead, what we need to do is to learn from the example of Abraham. And we learn to trust. We learn to trust God's perfection and not our own. And as we see the communion table set out before us, this is our weekly reminder that we do not have to be perfect but rather we bring our imperfections before the Lord. We lay those upon Jesus, and what we receive is God's perfection through Christ, the bread and the cup that reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So life seems to be a lot of improv. Most of life seems to be a lot of improv, not scripts that we're trying to follow line by line, but just like those improv actors, let's move away from a, a yes but attitude and tendencies, and in faith, let's begin to try to start responding to God with a yes and mindset. And so could you imagine here at our church, at Kairos Church, what it would look like if this community of faith rejected the yes but mindset and life, and instead embraced the yes and way of trusting and following after Jesus and experiences, experiencing God's mysteries for this life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that you invite us to do so many things, and we confess that often we are fearful and insecure, we feel small and inadequate, and we have a lot of buts that we want to insert but Lord, our confession in our heart this morning and this moment is to say yes and what do you have in store for us? That is the desires of our hearts. Lord, would you take our imperfections and would you mold us into becoming more and more like Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.